Alrighty guys, so this week's whale of the week is J22, also known as Oreo. She's a 36-year-old female. She once belonged to an extremely large extended family group, and she is the mother of Double Stuffed, which is J34, and Cookie, which is J38. Um, Double Stuffed passed away, but Cookie is alive and now an adult. So that is our whale of the week.
Also, I do want to note that when we did record this podcast, to our knowledge, this was the most recent study. However, on January 12th of 2021, a new study was published by Marla Holt, Jennifer Tennyson, Eric Ward, Bradley Hansen, Candace Emmons, Deborah Giles, who's been on here twice, and Jeffrey Hogan, titled The Effects of Vessel Distance and Sex on the Behavior of the Endangered Killer Whales. So I do want to go through and do an in-depth discussion about this study, which is something that you guys can look forward to in the next couple of weeks. Um, However, I'm just going to give you guys a brief uh, description of the results. So basically what they found when looking at it is that when vessels are within 400 meters of the southern residents, that it does impact their behavior. They did notice that the females were more likely than the males to respond differently to nearby vessels, that they were less likely to transition from um, foraging states to non-foraging states when uh, vessels were closer than 400 meters. So we will go into more depth about that. I do want to note that that is important just because um, for the females, it's really important to meet those energetic requirements. That way we can continue to support their reproductive efforts. You know, given that they are starving and that they are an endangered species, this is something that's really important. So just want to note that there. I will be linking the study that we talked about this week as well as this study in the description. I highly recommend that you guys go and check out both of those studies um, and read them for yourself. Let us know what you think and it let us know if you have any questions. With that being said, let's get started with our episode, which is brought to you guys by Blackfin Coffee. Definitely go check out their website um, as well as their Instagram page. If you guys are interested in purchasing any of their coffee, you can use the promo code BREACHEXTINCTION for 20% off of your first order. But definitely go check them out. They have a variety of different coffees. I have tried the blends that they've sent me that are the PNW Protector Blends. All of them are awesome. And if you guys do purchase those PNW Protector Blends, 100% of the proceeds go to um, PNW Protectors. So go get caffeinated, go help some whales. Um, But I hope you guys enjoy this week's episode. Orcas and salmon are friends that need help. Our ocean pals are facing some trouble. Less trouble, more bubbles. There's so much we can do. Do you know what I'm thinking? Let's start preaching extinction. Alrighty guys, so this week's whale of the week is J22, also known as Oreo. She's a 36-year-old female. She once belonged to an extremely large extended family group, and she is the mother of Double Stuffed, which is J34, and Cookie, which is J38. Um, Double Stuffed passed away, but Cookie is alive and now an adult, so that is our whale of the week. Awesome, guys. Well, welcome back. Um, This week, I've got Shelby Nielsen here with me. She's probably going to make some more appearances on the podcast here in the near future. Um, But I'm going to let her go ahead and introduce herself, tell her, tell you guys about like, you know, what her passions are and what she's doing here. Yeah, so I've been listening to the Breaching Extinction podcast since Erica started it last year, and it's something that I've really enjoyed keeping up with. Um, I've been interested in orcas ever since I was younger. Um, The movie Free Willy was definitely my jam, and I watched it all the time. And uh, orcas, and especially the southern residents, have 
just been something I've been passionate about and interested in as I've grown up and I've enjoyed keeping up with them and learning more about them through the literature. So um, being able to be involved with this podcast is something really exciting for me. Um, I just finished my master's in epidemiology at the University of Guelph. I live in Ontario and I'm excited to be starting my PhD in epidemiology as well this month. And although my research doesn't directly relate to killer whales, um, I'm hoping that through epidemiology, it's something that I can incorporate in the future and maybe help contribute to the population health of suffering populations like the Southern residents specifically. That's awesome. Um, Yeah, I'm super excited to have you here. And I really like that you have um, that other perspective because you're still, you know, within the scientific community. Um, But I think that, you know, you being in a different field, your brain probably is working in ways that maybe mine wouldn't. Um, And so I think that's going to add a really interesting perspective and like, you know, open up the conversation in new ways that it maybe wouldn't have otherwise. So I'm super stoked. Um, But this week, we are going to be talking about a study that was um, conducted in 2009. It is titled Vessel Traffic Disrupts the Foraging Behavior of Southern Resident Killer Whales or Sinus Orca. Um, I apologize in advance if I pronounce any of these names wrong, but this was conducted by David um, at the University of Aberdeen, David Bryan at the University of Washington, um, Robin Williams at the Marine Mammal Research Unit, um, which is at St. Andrews University, and then Jody Smith at the Coastal Marine Research Group Institute, um, and that's out of New Zealand. So we're going to talk about this study a little bit, um, and, you know, part of the reason why I think this is a a good one to talk about right now is because we just had a really interesting year as far as vessel presence on the water and also um, Washington Department of Fish and Wildlife just put in some new regulations that will be implemented in 2021. So um, it's a really interesting time for that. So I'll kind of talk a little bit about like the introduction of the study. Shelby's going to go over the methods with us and then we're going to kind of debrief on what their results were. So to kind of introduce the study, um, this was can or this study was published in 2009, so it was like about 11 years ago now. Um, the motivation behind it was that the population of southern residents had dropped below 80 individuals um, in 2001. So this resulted in them being listed as depleted under the Marine Mammal Protection Act, and then being listed as endangered in the Washington State um, Environmental Species Protection Act, as well as the Canada's um, At Risk Act as well. So. Basically, what they were trying to determine is if there are behavioral differences based on presence of vessels. Um, Some of the potential impacts of vessel presence could be collision resulting in death or injury of a whale. Um, It could be the presence of vessel vessel noise um, impacting their ability to eco-locate, forage, um, and potentially increase stress. Um, And then also the exhaust from the vessels may have contributed to toxins in the water. And we know that those are um, one of the three main things that impact these guys. So obviously they're starving, which is the main issue. Water toxins, as well as vessel noise are the three main things that we know impact the Southern residents. So they were looking at this to see how vessel traffic impacted these different factors. So one of the other things that we know too, is that repeated disturbance of wild animals has impacted um, factors that potentially impact their quality of life, their foraging efficiency, fitness, reproductive success, etc. So basically what these guys were doing, we're trying to look at the anthropogenic or human impacts on 
wildlife, um, specifically the southern residents, and how boats were impacting potentially their behavior and if this were to somehow affect their population dynamics, if this was going to continue to endanger them. So do you kind of want to talk about the methods of how they did the study? Yeah, sure. So um, as you just mentioned, so the overarching goals of the research was to assess if boat traffic affects the behavioral dynamics and the behavioral uh, budgets of the southern resident killer whales. And also, um, especially since we know the importance of food limitation already on this population, they wanted to determine if specifically the boats uh, interrupted their foraging activities. So uh, what they did was they... um, They conducted land-based observations from two different study sites, one of those being near Lime Kiln and the other uh, Mount Finlayson. And the reason that they chose these two locations was that whales are reported to use these areas heavily for foraging already. So for the behavioral sampling, what they did was they conducted scan sampling at 15-minute intervals. And um, at these 15-minute intervals, they recorded the subgroup size of the whales that they saw, what activity state, um, which they categorized based on uh, eight different categories that they established, such as if they were resting, traveling, foraging, socializing. Uh, the number, And then also um, they recorded the number of vessels, either within a 100-meter range, 400-meter range, and a 1,000-meter range of whales. Um, one thing to note is that these distances of the vessels were, um, visually estimated, but it did say that they confirmed these with the the distances most of the time with a tool called a theodite. Uh, they also, um, counted the vessels separately depending on if they, uh, knew the vessels were engaged specifically in whale watching or not. So in order to look at the influence of the vessel traffic and other factors on behavior, what they did was they uh, analyzed whether the site, the year, the pod that they saw, or the vessel traffic affected transitions in activity states. Um, they also tested whether pod ID influenced. So for the analysis of this study, what they did was they tested whether the site, uh, the sorry, the observation site, the year, the pod that they observed, or the vessel traffic affected the transitions in the activity states. Um, They also tested whether the pod ID was a factor in this, and they looked at the likelihood of if whales were foraging um, and continued to forage in the presence of a vessel. So that, um, that pretty much sums up the methods and analysis for this study. Yes. So as far as what they found, um, which is something that, you know, most people know is that vessel traffic does disrupt the foraging behavior of whales. Um, Unfortunately, there were some complications with the study as far as sample size that um, made them kind of unable to determine certain significances within the study. For example, like that, you know, 400 to 1000 meter range, um, they weren't able to make significant conclusions on whether or not that range impacted the whales. But what they did see is um, when boats were close to 100, like within 100 meters of the whales, they spent more time traveling, less time foraging, uh, more time resting, more time socializing. And that was um, consistent among the two sites that was consistent among the different groups. Um, those groups being obviously JK and LPOD. So 
yeah, basically it, there is an impact on these guys. And so one of the things, not only is that that vessel noise was impacting them um, because these guys echolocate, there was another study done by another scientist in here who, uh, or not in here, but that they cited in the paper who said that, you know, if the prey is in the direct path of these animals, you know, the vessel noise shouldn't impact them. However, they wouldn't be able to detect prey outside of that. And, you know, obviously the prey is not always going to be within their line of trajectory. So that's why it's important that they're able to search around for their food. So we see that that was an issue. And then also a lot of times the vessels were right in the area where the whales were feeding. So like right on top of these salmon runs, um, impacting their ability to, you know, access this food. I think it's interesting to note that uh, they also mentioned here that uh, previous research had been similarly done with the northern, northern resident killer whales who are also a fish eating population and the effects were very similar. So I think that just adds to the support of the results of this study that, that really the boat presence uh, really does cause behavioral effects and impacts foraging for them. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, one of the neat things about this study is like, I mean, you know, you and I have just discussed before the podcast that I did work on a whale watching boat up in Washington. And I remember the regulations being different. And now having read this study, I see where they got the information for that and why that's so important. You know, it's like with the Southern residents for a long time, you couldn't get within 400 meters of them. Um, so this is definitely important for implementing different policies and we see you know obviously that you know we should listen to scientists and it makes a difference but i think it's really important right now too because this you know species is so critically endangered yeah i think it would have been interesting as well they mentioned that they counted whale watching boats that were both commercial and recreational mm -hmm. but they didn't um differentiate or it didn't mention any analysis for looking at if there was a difference between recreational and commercial whale watching boats, but um, the results just really emphasize that there needs to be regulation in making sure boats keep their distance. And it would be interesting to see if they observed, you know, how these recreational whale watching boats were interacting with the whales and um, if they re really were a problem in getting within that range. Yes. Um, I remember we talked with Taylor Shedd. Um, I don't think that he's still at Soundwatch, but he was at Soundwatch when we interviewed him. And that's the organization through the Center for Whale Research that um, tries to inform people on safe boating practices. And I think um, maybe at the time that this study was conducted, they maybe didn't have that information out there. But um, based on the conversation that I had with Taylor, what he said was that in the studies we've seen that um, a lot of times people just didn't know. Um, and then if you stopped and told them more often than not, they were willing to comply with, you know, these issues. And I think that's the thing is most people don't know. And, you know, obviously people are drawn to animals and they want to get close to them and things like that. And like, you know, we can't expect the average person to know that, you know, whales ecolocate and that the Southern residents are going through all these things or to even know who the Southern residents are. Um, so it, that would definitely be interesting to see, to, you know, the impact of those guys, um, like of those wreck boats on the whales. Um, and then we kind of discussed a little bit before this, how 2020 was a really interesting year because there were, uh, anecdotally, like, you know, which basically just based on observation, there's no scientific study published currently, 
um, that there were less boats out on the water with the whales. So it's definitely an interesting time to study wildlife, especially our Southern residents. Absolutely. And it's, uh, I wish that we could have more information, obviously with observational studies, it's hard to fully examine other factors um, that the paper mentioned of uh, boat impact on the whales, such as they mentioned reproductive success um, and mating systems and social structure. And to know that we had such a quiet year on the water and we had, was it two uh, new Southern resident yeah. members this summer? So it's just interesting and kind of gives a little bit of hope of maybe we can turn things around. Yeah, I'm hoping so, you know, um, and potentially like, I mean, obviously somebody with who actually studies them would need to determine this, but like maybe that did have a difference in the fact that both of those babies to our knowledge are still alive right now. Um, because Mm -hmm. I believe I read somewhere that it was like a 50% mortality rate. I should go back and double check that of calves. Um, at least recently. So, I mean, hopefully this has an impact. Also, I think it's interesting to bring up too right now that um, Washington Fish and Wildlife just put in new regulations for 2021. And I don't know if you saw on social media or wherever else, but there's a lot of like mixed feelings on this. So basically what the new regulations state is that and this is only for the southern residents. So the big um, killer whales and the humpbacks and the other species up there that we look at or ecotypes will not be affected by this. However, in the state of Washington, uh, starting in 2021, this was just implemented um, on December 18th of 2020. But basically, the only time that southern residents can be watched is from July to September. Um, and you have to be under a permit. There are two two-hour periods, so from 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. and then from 3 to 5 And then during these times, it's limited to to three commercial whale watching vessels per group of Southern resident killer whales. So it's definitely like limiting the amount of time that we can spend around the whales. Um, I thought that it was really interesting um, because I read, you know, Monica Whelan Shields book, um, Endangered Orca, and she talked about like the orcantics or the politics around it and how there's like a lot of people that fight each other and like don't necessarily stick true to you know their values or their goals and let other things get in the way and then I talked to Brittany Jandick as well who did her thesis on that and I feel like when these new regulations went into place I saw that play out again I saw you know there were people that were like yes this is a good thing and other people were like no this is a bad thing um and I did see you know a couple things that disappointed me I did see two organizations post that um this was of no benefit to the whales. And that isn't true because, you know, it is. The argument as far as why people want to continue to have whale watching um, around the Southern residents specifically is because they argue that the whale watching boats um, basically kind of protect the whales, that other boaters know that the whales are there because the whale watching boats are there to let them know. And, you know, there have been different videos that go around showing specific incidences. However, there are no scientific papers currently out that talk about this and that say that this is a thing. And that's not to say that it isn't a thing, um, but this information is purely based off of anecdotal evidence. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Did you see, like, any of the posts about that? What is your, you know, take on, on all of that? 
on the limit on yeah. o- observing the Southern residents. Yes. I think. It's hard. It's not like an easy, like, you know, simple question. Yeah. Yeah. I think it is hard because, you know, on one hand, you're right. It kind of, um, at least, you know, if there's a limit on the boating that hopefully these whale watch boats are following the regulations and watching them in a respectful way and providing education. But at the same time, um, I I can see it getting very politically messy and I'm not sure. Do you know specifically how it would be determined of, you know, the three boats? Like, is it who gets there first? Does it become a rat race to get there? Um, Is it kind of pre-approved on the day of, you know, if they're in the area, your boat will be permitted to go view them? You know, I don't know the, uh, like from what DFW um, has posted on their, um, website. It doesn't say anything about that. I feel like that's probably something that's more within the Pacific Whale Watches Association's realm because, you know, those guys do self-regulate and things like that. So it's probably more of their sort of thing um, to determine that. I mean, it definitely could cause a lot of tension, but also, you know, one of the things that I was thinking, because I was like, you know, reading up about that a little bit because there were so many, like, there was a lot of different information flying around out there, which I think is really harmful just because um, it looks like certain people have different agendas. Like some people want whale watching just because that they want whale watching and some people don't want it just because they don't want it. And then obviously there's people rooted in science. Um, But I think we need to consistently get on kind of one page as orca people and be like, here's what the science says here, are what the facts are. It's just like it, I don't know. It looks very messy and I could see just based on kind of how it's already played out, I can see it continuing to get messier. Um, and I don't know. I, I think there's other ways like uh, the people in the whale watching industry that I've talked to or that have made like big long posts, like basically like they argue that like they're around the whales. And so that's how the people know and that they need to be around them. But when I was looking into some different studies, um, on the center for whale research's website, like the the whales have not been around for in this area for a very long time the way that they used to you know consistently be in this area so honestly there's really not that much time that they spend here and i think that there's other ways to combat it like for example we once obviously you have to get close enough to identify if it's a southern resident or a transient killer whale um but get close enough to determine where you know who the animal is and then radio to the other vessels in the area and just say like hey you know commercial vessel people vessel people ferries etc there are southern residents right here and i think that's how we can avoid um that or at least try to yeah exactly i know i'm not sure how it works in the states and i'm I'm definitely not an insider when it comes to whale watching, but I did uh, go on a whale watching trip in Victoria last winter when I was there. Mm -hmm. And they did um, very much convey to me that their system was they're in communication with a lot of different types of boats out on the water. So they kind of know who's in the area. And then uh, the specific company I was with anyways, they always, they um, claim that they always prioritize transients if they're in the area over southern residents to to um give more space and 
um, courtesy to the residents when they're, when they're in the area. Yeah, I think that that's a great idea. And that's interesting that you say that, like, you know, you went out with somebody on the Canadian side of things and that that's what they said. And, um, you know, having worked in the San Juan Islands, I definitely think that other boats would go to the southern residents because they'd be like, these are the southern residents and this is important. And I think it is really important to talk about those things However, I think that we're in such a dire state right now. Like Lori Marino was on here and she said all boats out of the water. Like that was her recommendation. And as a scientist, I think we should listen to her. Um, Obviously, we want people to connect to the animals and we want them to um, try to make a change and help these animals. But I think that we can still have those conversations and still inspire people by taking them to go see the big killer whales, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. But, like, you know, after reading this study, like, especially when they were saying that, like, even, like, within the 1,000 meter range, like, we don't know the impact. Like, um, like they obviously had, you know, some anecdotal evidence in there, but they didn't have enough data to say whether or not that was the case. Like, and it doesn't look like, because I looked on Google Scholar, I don't have, like, access to JSTOR or any of these other, like, big scientific databases. But based on Google Scholar, I didn't see any other studies that showed you know that impact and I think right now just because they're in such a dire spot like we should really consider why we feel the need to be around them like as whale watch boats Mm -hmm. and like you know find other ways because we do know that the vessels impact them and I think like if that truly is the priority of like protecting the whales and we know that that vessels are a problem what if you had one boat like out with the southern residents that was like you know a research boat or a wdfw boat or some sort of enforcement that was like far enough away but that could be in communication with all of the other boats um mm-hmm. i think that's a like if we really are truly concerned with that like why are those not the solutions that we're offering up i don't know i agree i think there definitely needs to be some more research i know it's hard being observational and with um a population that's uh, endangered. Um, I believe the reason in this study why they couldn't draw specific conclusions beyond 100 meters is because oftentimes when they were recording boats further away, there was also boats within 100 meters or around 100 meters. So it's hard to differentiate with that data. But um, I think for sure there needs to either be more research or we just need to be very conservative in the regulations that we're making in case there are significant effects uh in greater ranges like that absolutely like I 100% agree like we like that's the thing is like we don't know everything like we do know a lot because there have been tons of Mm -hmm. researchers that have gone out and and learned things but there's so much more to learn and we have to be open to that and I think that like you're totally right until we do know we need to remain conservative and like it was really disappointing to see um different organizations out there you know spreading like messages about how this is like really bad and all these other things. Like I literally, I remember seeing one organization post that this is of no benefit to the Southern residents and that's just absolutely false. And like, what, you know, we haven't been able to scientifically analyze whether the impact of whale watching boats around the, you know, that area um, does impact them. But like, and even if it is, you know, even if we were to conduct that study and even if the conclusion said that it was more beneficial, you can't, still can't say that it's of no benefit to the Southern residents to not have whale watching boats around the whales. Like it is of their benefit. Like, 
And the reason that it's so important right now is because that these guys are starving. And if they're not mm-hmm. getting enough food, if they're not able to prioritize, um, you know, searching for food, eco-locating, if they're stressed out, they're going to burn more calories, like stressing out and doing these other things than they are foraging. And like, it's just like, it's really disappointing to see. And like, you know, I think for me as somebody who's been in the whale watching industry, but also been on the scientific side of things, personally, I think we should lean a little bit more conservatively around the Southern residents. It just like doesn't seem like it's appropriate right now to spend that time around them. And I think that there's other ways that we can protect them. But it does seem based on the scientific evidence that we have that it is more detrimental for these boats to be in the water with these whales. Mm-hmm. Agreed. And not that I want to encourage harassment of the transients, but I think especially when you have a tour group with you that, you know, an orca is an orca and they're not they don't have that significant differentiation of the Southern resident killer whales. Why not avoid them when you can and give them their space? Absolutely. And, you know, if you're really that determined to show somebody a Southern resident, um, you can, you can take them to line kill them on a day when the Southern residents are there. Like wildlife is wild and we don't know when it's going to be there, but like there's other ways to make those connections. And also I think too, it's a bit more powerful when you're like, when you stand there as a business and you say, I'm not going to like, like there is this really cool group of whales that's so amazing and we're not going to go see them because of X, Y, and Z. Um, yes, exactly. I'd have so much respect for them as a company. Yeah. Absolutely. I know it's, yeah, it's definitely more convenient and efficient for tourists to go the whale watching boat route, but it would be interesting to promote more land-based uh, whale watching initiatives and, I know it's um, more limited and the chances of seeing them would be smaller, but um, it would be interesting or yeah, to, to promote that um, for tourists as well as an option. Yes, absolutely. And there's other ways to watch whales. I think that we really do need to remain like rooted in the science and like, even if your anecdotal evidence does turn out to be true, we need to continue to remain based in the science just until we have that like scientific evidence, Mm -hmm. you know, Uh, that is so incredibly important. And I think you're right. Like we should, you know, implement some sort of like land-based thing. Uh, There's other ways to reach people with the Southern residents. Like there's so many other ways we have, you know, our filmmaking friends that go and they make films and they share that with people. And then there's people on Instagram and there's like, you know, there's a lot of different ways to impact the Southern residents. And like, I think us being in the water, quote unquote, saying that we're protecting them. Like, I don't think that that's fair to say, Um, but that's just me. Yeah. Um, It would be interesting uh, in the the regulations, um, does it state anything about turning your motors off and you're within a certain distance? Because I know that's um, something that some companies do as well. And it would be interesting to see if that's effective or not. Um, I am not seeing that in the new regulations. Um, However, I think this document that I was looking at just has the old regulations. I know that the Pacific Whale Watch Association like says that you should turn your engines off if like the whales start to approach you. Um, And that definitely makes a difference um, because we don't want them to get hit or anything like that. And it's better to Mm -hmm. remain predictable than it is to like try to skirt out of their way. Um, yeah, but I don't see it here in the, like, it wasn't covered under the new regulations. Um, but yeah, it's like, definitely we're living in an interesting time and I'm hoping that maybe 
the scientists who were out on the water during COVID when it first started are able to collect some um, data that will give us, you know, new information, a better understanding of how we can help these animals. Um, and I think at the end of the day, it's important to remember that everybody does want to help the Southern residents. Um, and there's a lot of emotions and things like that that fly. And I think it's, you know, also difficult to have these conversations or to publicly even post this because like, obviously like I don't want to make enemies and I like, you know, don't want to sit there and, you know, I'm not trying to like villainize anyone because I do think that most people have good intentions. We just need to like remain rooted in science. And also it is important to hold each other accountable because, you know, Monica Whelan Schultz wrote about this in her book where, you know, all these different organizations were, um, or individuals were behaving in ways that were inappropriate and that were unproductive. And, you know, we still see it today. Like it's still happening. And, if we hold each other accountable, like as much as it isn't fun to do, like I think it's worth it for the betterment of the whales. There's so many things that go into this. Like it's like it's not just the issues, it's all the people too. It's so complicated. <laughs> yeah. Everyone's passionate about them. We just need to remind ourselves that if we're passionate about them, we need to put them first and do what's best for them. Absolutely. And like just continuing to do that and keeping it rooted in science is really important. Mm -hmm. Um, So speaking of, you know, um, wanting things to get better before the podcast, you had brought up something that you saw Alexandria Morton post. Um, Do you care to share a little bit about what you saw? Yeah. So um, I did see the um, Alexandra Morton on Instagram. She's there. Uh, her handle's at Alex Morton, the number four for salmon. Um, and she's a biologist uh, in the Pacific Northwest, and she focuses on salmon specifically. And so I'm just going to read her uh, Instagram caption verbatim, if that's okay. Yes, please. Um, but I thought this was a positive uh, that we could end things on. Um, so she said, The A5 northern resident orca were seen entering the Broughton yesterday, which was, I believe, January 4th, 2021, for the first time in 25 years. They entered via Fife Sound exactly as they used to when I moved there in 1984 to study them. Then in 1995, the Birdwood Salmon Farm began using acoustic harassment devices so loud they repelled seals by causing searing pain in their ears. The orca, who depend on their ears to see, left. I watched for them, listened for them 24-7 for decades, but they had abandoned this part of their traditional territory until yesterday when Jared Towers followed as they entered Fife, Old Ways. The male in these photos is named Fife, ironically. They also had a newborn with them. This is a sign of potential for healing. The Birdward farm is gone forever, and somehow after so long, this family felt safe to come home again. I've also included a picture of them in King Come Inlet in 1985, photo shot under scientific license. Thank you, Jared. So I just thought that was um, really uh, hopeful and interesting to relate back to the study that we talked about today. Um, I know that it's uh, acoustic noise from a salmon farm, not directly from vessel traffic, but I think the same message is still there that, you know, we... um, how how influential acoustics are on their behavior and that in the end uh there's still hope for uh turning things around and making things better for them absolutely 
And like that, I think those salmon farms were like very recently moved, correct? Like I, th I think I saw a post that like, they, like that was a very recent change. So the fact that like they showed up pretty quickly after is astonishing. Yes, and I believe um, in Canada, at least they've decided to remove all of the, um, I'm not sure, if, uh, I'm not, I can't speak of like uh, the specifics to this, but they're basically taking out um, the fish farms. Uh, it'll be over a period of time, but that's a change that's going to be implemented there. And hopefully that'll help the salmon and in turn help the whales as well. Absolutely. Yes. I agree. But that's, that's such like a beautiful story that she shared. And like, it is amazing to see mm -hmm. how resilient nature is. And like, these animals really are resilient. And it just goes to show that, you know, it is these anthropogenic impacts that like, are what caused the change in their behavior and their ability to survive. And like, they could, they survive pretty well on their own as far as like being resilient animals. However, we shouldn't, you know, continue to have those added stresses. Um, but yeah, that's an amazing story. I think that's a great um, note to end on. And I do just like want to clarify in case it wasn't clear that I'm not saying no whale watching ever. I'm just saying that we should be really mindful around the Southern residents um, because, mm -hmm. you know, those those trips where people do go out and they learn about the animals that is impactful. And we should do scientific studies on on how to increase the impact there and what impact that truly has, because we don't have any data on that yet either. Um, but yeah. And, yeah. just and the practices should be uniform. Yes. Like, it, that's the thing is, if we all, like, stand together, I think that we'll, like, I don't think, I know that we'll be more powerful because, I mean, that's confusing for the public if all of these, if there's, like, 20 different ORCA organizations and half of them are on one page and half of them are on another. Like, that's not, like, people mm -hmm. aren't going to believe you. And if you, like, falsify information or change things based on what you want um, to happen that's not like based in science, like people aren't going to trust science and they're not going to trust you either. And that's like, we can't, you know, we run the risk of losing that support as well because people don't know what to think. But, um, on a more positive note, <laughs> like that whale's <laughs> back and that's pretty awesome. Um, I wonder where that whale was this whole time. Did they say, did she say if it was seen elsewhere? It was the A5 family. So it was the, um, the one pod of whales of the northern resident community but um not in fife sound that's all i know that's amazing <laughs> yeah awesome um mm -hmm. do you have any final thoughts or anything that you would like to add i guess just uh reflecting back on this year and kind of finding some positives and hoping that uh we can take what we've learned this year and carrying it forward and not jumping back into just our old ways um if the world gets back to normal, quote unquote, um, I think we should still be mindful and reflective and not necessarily go back to our old, old ways immediately as well. Absolutely. And, you know, that's really hard to do, but I think we're all, you know, kind of challenged in that way to think differently than the ways that we've traditionally thought. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's actually a good thing. And there's so much more mm -hmm. that we can do. And if we were doing things that weren't great, we can learn from it and move on. And that's okay. When you learn and you move on, then it's okay. When you continue to make the same mistake, it's not. But I think that that is a great idea. I think you're right. We should continue to be reflective. 
Awesome. awesome. Well, thanks so much for having me. Yeah, thanks for being on here. I'm excited for, you know, you potentially coming back on in the future. And I'm, like, excited to hear more about your insight. But thank you. As always, thanks so much for joining us, guys. Um, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, please feel free to reach out. Always happy to answer questions and continue the discussion. If you guys do want to continue to support this project, check out our social media pages as well as our Patreon. But hope you guys have a wonderful week. Bye-bye.